So I've been given the, the daunting task of uh, introducing someone who needs no introduction this morning. But this morning we have a very special speaker with us, uh, Brother Jeff Walling. Some of you have known him for many years. Some of you may be meeting him for the first time this morning. Um, Jeff's official title, and I hope that I don't get this wrong, is the Director of the Youth Initiative, nope, the Youth Leadership Initiative for Pepperdine University. You know, I practiced that over and over and I still got it wrong. Um, but anyway, um, more importantly, uh, Jeff, as most of you know, he was the minister here for a very long time and currently serves in a little bit different role at Pepperdine, but he just does an amazing job of encouraging and equipping uh, not only the ministers of the churches, but also he spends a lot of time focusing on the youth ministers such as myself. So I've been very blessed to know Jeff for about a year now and gotten to um, attend quite a few events with him. And even just in that short time, uh, he's made a huge impact on my life. And I know he has made an impact on almost everybody in this church as well. So we want to welcome him up to uh, give us what I'm sure will be an amazing message. And I'm just thankful I don't have to preach next week to follow him. So come on up, Jeff. <laughs> Wow, Aaron, after an introduction like that, I'm, I'm excited, and then I realized, oh no, it's just me, so uh, thank you. It is an honor, and it is a privilege for me to get a chance to be here in a place that uh, Catherine and I spent uh, 13 years serving at, and I, I couldn't believe that it was 34 years ago that for the first time we came to this place and we were honored to serve here with elders and ministers. I think about uh, Charles Stancil and others who were serving here at this time. And I see some of you who were here. But I'm thrilled also to look out and see a bunch of folks that I do not know. And so I bring you greetings from Pepperdine University. Uh, I've served there for the last four years working in a project that is called on to raise up the next young generation of Christian leaders. As the most important thing that those of us who are older if I can speak to my wrinkled homies there just for a moment. For those of us who have been farther down the road, our goal is to pass the baton of faith on to the next generation. Can I get an amen from you on that? And so, uh, so that's, that's part of what I get to do at Pepperdine. Catherine and I live right there on campus. If you come up our way, in fact, let me give you an invitation. You've allowed one by one and I to come to your house. Uh, we'd love for you to come to ours. Specifically, this coming April and May, we have a program called Harbor, and I think there's a slide about that, which is our uh, Bible lectures, now called Harbor. There are a number of different, more like 250 different presenters and teachers. There are classes literally for all ages. And Harbor takes place over four days. We want to make it easy because I know it's a little bit of a hike from Mission Viejo up there. So we will prepare our dorms for you. And if you'd like to have an ocean view room for four nights, you can get that for a total, all four nights, of about $145. That's not for one night, that's all four nights. And I know there's some guys saying, that's the anniversary trip I can afford right there. All right, we're going to Malibu, baby. So we, uh, we would love to have you come up and enjoy the lectures with us. One by one, we'll be singing, as well as other singing groups and speakers from uh, not only all over Southern California, but all over the country. Uh, one of the projects that I'll ask you to pray for that I get a chance to lead is a project called the Next Gen preacher search. It's all about trying to encourage some of these guys and gals who are sitting right down front. And by the way, awesome 
first row. I don't know what they pay you, but that is great to have you guys sitting right down front. As I look down and I see the future of the church sitting right here and also sitting back there as well, uh, I want to encourage you guys to think about who should be standing here or leading in Bible classes or teaching children's ministry, youth ministry in coming years. So here's, here's what we invite them to do, to submit a five-minute video of themselves preaching or teaching about a given Bible topic, and they submit that at nextgenpreachersearch.com. We send those videos out to about 40 ministers all across the country who review them and give them some feedback and help us to select about two dozen of them. We bring those uh, 20 to 24 to Pepperdine's campus for two and a half days of coaching with folks from our religion division and our communications division, as well as uh, Randy Harris from Abilene is coming out to help this year. Joe Beam was one of our coaches in years past. Uh, we have someone from Ozark Bible College. And we videotape them again, only this time professionally videotape them in our chapel as a way of giving them a copy of a lesson that they have worked on. And we'll select four at the end of the event, actually in the week or two after that. And those four young people will speak at the Pepperdine Bible Lectures as well as at Lipscomb's Summer Celebration, the North American Christian Convention, and some other events across the country. And not in a way of trying to glorify them, but of hoping that moms and dads and grandpas and grandmas, as well as young people, will look up and see a 16-year-old standing up here and speaking and thinking, man, I've got a nephew who could do that, or, or a son or a daughter or a grandchild. Because as you know from seeing me and from seeing Ed, your ministers are aging. It, it is just, it is happening. And I appreciate all of those of you who have already lied here this morning, saying to me, you don't look any different. <laughs> well, you need glasses then, because uh, the reality is we've got to raise up the next generation of young preachers and teachers, and that will happen in part because of your encouragement. Can I get a oh yeah from you on that? All right. Well, this morning, I want to ask you to turn to the book of Hebrews as we're going to begin there in a lesson that I simply call Focus on the Family, or rather, Focus for the family. Family life in today's world is increasingly crazy. I saw this picture in a magazine and I thought, this is what my life feels like. Go to that next slide if you would. Does, is that what your life feels like? I, I've got things plugged into things plugged into things, right? My wife and I, several years ago in Charlotte, North Carolina, where we went to when we left Providence Road to serve there for 17 years in ministry, she needed to get a new phone. And so we, uh, actually, she didn't need one. I had a problem with my phone, but you get somebody inside a good Sprint store and there will be a salesman who will convince you that you need the next model. He asked her about her kids and where they lived and said, wouldn't you like to be able to send pictures back and forth? This was several years back. And she said, well, yeah. And he said, let me show you something. Well, now my wife is, is not a big gadget person. But within 10 minutes, he just had her eating out of his hand and was signing a contract, signing the next several years of our life away and showing her all the things this phone could do. She was thrilled when we got in the car and said, I have the newest phone in the family. Can you believe that? And listed for me all the things the phone could do. And as we pull out, she said, oh my goodness, Kathy is going to die. She is not going to believe I bought this phone. She says, I've got to call her. She said, hand me your phone. I said, well, babe, you've got a new one there. Yeah, but I don't know how to make a phone call on it. Just hand me your phone. 
There are times when our world can become so complex and so confusing that we lose focus on the main thing. What was that old saying? To keep the main thing, the main thing is the main thing. And so I want to turn this morning in a complicated world to ask how do families stay focused in this culture? What does it mean for a family? Go to the next slide if you would. What does it mean for a family that has all the busyness of life all around them to stay focused on what's important? Well, I'm convinced that the book of Hebrews has some ideas on how to do so. Of course, the Hebrew writer, as is already mentioned, is writing to a group of folks who are in a different culture and who are asking, man, what it's, what it's, what's going to keep me solid on Christ as the wind blows all around me? So in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, we read the following. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see, for this is what the ancients were commended for. I love getting God's word in our mouth, so can we read that together? And when you say the word confidence, try saying confidence. confidence. No, you have to say it like you're confident. So let's try it. Here we go. Confidence. Great. And the word assurance, which means solidity in what I believe. Here we go. Try that word. Assurance. Great. In fact, do this when you say confidence and when you say assurance, you'll remember it this time. Here we go. Ready? The Bible says, now faith is being in what we hope for and of what we do not yet see. The challenge of believing in what you cannot see is the great difficulty in staying focused in a world that wants to keep us looking right here all the time. So what does the Hebrew writer do to help us with that? He offers us pictures of people who stayed focused on that which they could not see. Now, I was reading through this some time back when it hit me that this is what my middle son would call a sizzle reel. Uh, Riley, some of you remember little Riley. Uh, he's grown up and he no longer pulls the little girl's hair in Sunday school, for those of you who were his Sunday school teacher. Riley is now working as an editor for a, a video channel called People Are Awesome. If you've ever seen that on YouTube, it's quite a, a popular channel. And, uh, but sometime back, he, he said, oh, Dad, man, Rich got the job I wanted. And it's my dream job. I said, really, what was that? He said, he's going to be doing sizzle reels for Fox Sports. What's a sizzle reel? He says, Dad, you've seen a million of them. Every time you watch a, uh, an NFL game or, 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 or a game of uh, uh, national basketball, when you see at the very end of a period of play, right before they go to the commercial, it replays two or three plays or two or three shots that were the most important for that period. That's called the sizzle reel. And there is one guy or one gal who is in a truck outside along with all the other camera or rather all the other uh, video editing uh, equipment and they have one job which is to watch to see what is the coolest shot during that period. So during the period of play, they're saying, oh, three-point shot, that's good. Oh, wow, that's amazing. Oh, look at that coach jumping up and yelling. And they pull those aside, but they can't decide until the last eight seconds, which one will be in the sizzle reel. At that point, they get, a, get this uh, clue, cue, they say, sizzle reel, eight, seven, six, and they start counting it down. And they have to decide, oh, let's use this one and this one and put this music under it, three, two. They hit edit, render, and it goes out on national television. Wow. 
He said, doesn't that sound like a dream? I said, that sounds like a stomachache to me, right? <laughs> Having to make that decision and make it happen. But what it does is it boils the entire period of play down to just a few highlights. Well, that's what Hebrews chapter 11 is. Hebrews chapter 11 is God taking the Old Testament and through the inspiration of this writer saying, let me give it to you in some little tiny, well, here, it'll be easier if I show you. For instance, the story of Noah takes three or four chapters in the Old Testament to tell the whole story, but here it's one verse. Now, if you were going to say, what is Noah's sizzle reel? What's his three-point shot? What does it have to be? That Noah did what? Built an ark. Let's read the text. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, can you read the next phrase? Okay, you have to put that in the center of it. So you see how the principle works. Abraham's story, pages and pages and pages in the Old Testament. And yet here, just a few verses. Here's the first one. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, what did he do? Obeyed and went even though what? He did not know where he was going. That's like a lot of us on L.A. freeways. We do not know where we are going. No, there's something much deeper there. Because just like Noah built an ark for rain that he could not, what? See. Abraham gets on the donkey to go to a place that he could not, because God said, I promise you, trust me, have confidence that it's there. That, that verse is one that really challenges me. He obeyed and went. Not only could he not see it, but he had no clue where it was. Think about that. Abraham decides to obey God, so he begins to pack up his belongings. I see him early in the morning, putting his belongings, maybe on the back of a donkey, and some of the neighbors come out. Abraham, where are you going? He says, I have no idea. <laughs> but you're packing, yep. What, you're leaving, yep. Where are you heading? I don't know. It's called the promised land, and, you know, God's just going to show it to me. By the way, do you know what God said to him? To a land that I will show you. He literally left not knowing where he was. Abraham, how do you know when you're going to get there? Well, I guess God will say, stop, we're here. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm just trusting him. When I think of that line, didn't know where... Are you like me? If somebody says, hey, come for a ride with me, and you say, where are we going? And they say, don't worry about it. Does that make you nervous? Right? We've seen too many gangster movies, right? You know, don't worry about it. We're just going for a little ride. That person is not going to be in the next scene of the movie because we're control freaks. We love to know, wait a minute, I want to know where we're going. And some of you, as soon as you get in, will say, I'll show you the best way to get there. Here, let me pull it up on my GPS because we think we know better. But as Christians, we have to be willing to say, I can't see it. I can't wrap my arms around it. But I promise you, God says, there is a promised land. Can I get it? Oh, yeah. That we are heading somewhere. So I got to thinking, now don't advance this slide yet. I got to thinking about my mom's favorite Bible character. Some of you may remember my mom. She would come down and visit the church here. My father had passed away when I was 21, but mom lived to be 93 years old. Passed away a few years ago. But if mom was ever called on at the last minute to teach a second or third grade Sunday school class, or if she was going to lead a VBS class, I knew which Bible character she was going to go to. And that was, and you all know, I'm sure you won't be surprised, 
the 11th son of Jacob. Y'all know who the 11th son of Jacob is, right? Do y'all remember the sons of Jacob? Make your Sunday school teacher proud. Here we go. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and then Benjamin. You're not doing a lot of Old Testament, are you, Ed? Let's back up just a little bit. Um, who made the world? Okay, all right, you got that part. All right, good. So you find God making Adam and Eve, and then ten generations later, Noah and the world is, is cleansed, if you will. Noah and his family are told to spread out, but they don't do so. They stick together, right, and build that tower. The people do, and God stops the building of the tower by confusing their languages, and out of that mass he calls Abraham and Sarah, his wife. And then Abraham and Sarah have a child, a promise. His name is Isaac. Isaac marries a woman by the name of Rebecca. Isaac and Rebecca have the first twins. Read about in the Bible. You remember what their names were? Esau and, and Jacob has 12 sons that become what we call the 12 tribes or the 12 patriarchs. Reuben the oldest, Benjamin the youngest, but the second to the youngest we know a lot about. In fact, more ink is spilled over him than almost any other character in the Old Testament. His story reflects Christ's story in some ways. It's an amazing tale, which is why I was shocked. Now, I'd read the New Testament before, but I'd never actually thought, how do you take the entirety of Joseph's story and boil it down to one sentence, to one verse? Now, if you're looking up there, it's not going to come up there. And I don't want you to peek, because I want to ask you, how would you take the entire story? And some may be saying, well, Jeff, I don't know that I remember it. So let's just quickly review Joseph's story, and you tell me the, the three-point shot. You tell me the, the amazing pass in his life. Joseph starts out as his father's favorite. Y'all remember that? Oh, dad loved Joseph better than any of the other sons. He's got 10 older brothers. That's just asking for trouble, being dad's favorite as the 11th brother in line. Not only that, he had dreams. Anybody remember the dreams that he had? And, and he was, pardon me, but dumb enough to tell his brothers about him. He came to, uh, he came to breakfast one morning, and, and they said, you know, what's wrong with you? Oh, man, I had an amazing dream last night. I dreamed that all of you were stars. And they were like, yeah, we are. He said, not only that, I dreamed I was a star and dad was the sun and mom was the moon. They said, what happened next in your dream? And he said, well, the sun and the moon and all of your stars bowed down to me. <laughs> Isn't that just asking for a beat down to tell your older brothers that? And then he had another dream that was similar about sheaves of wheat, and they so hated him. I mean, just hated him, and then Dad put the cherry on top. Can you see them working out in the field one day when Dad comes out carrying a gorgeous robe, a beautiful robe? We call it the coat of what? Yeah, which is really simply a way of saying that it was a fancy robe. It was an expensive robe. Think about a Kentucky farmer walking out into the field where his sons are, uh, you know, bringing in the wheat or, or working in the corn, and he's carrying a tuxedo on a hanger. And the boys all line up. Now, what does the oldest boy think? That's for me. The oldest boy is always going to get the lion's share in that, in that culture. But Dad walks right past Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Judah and Dan and Naphtali and Gad and Issachar. Of course, Benjamin's thinking, it's me. <laughs> 
But he stops right before he gets to him and says, oh, my dear son Joseph, this is for you. Go ahead, try it on. What do all the other boys think at this moment? They think, I love Joseph. <laughs> no. They're thinking, how come he gets it, right? And why in the world is dad giving a fancy coat to a guy who works with animals or a guy who works in the field? Joseph didn't have an office to report to. What did the fancy coat communicate? Oh, you'll be back at the ranch with me. You'll be not doing work that's going... In fact, one of the ways of understanding the word that we translate as coat of many colors is what's called a long coat, which means the, the sleeve of the coat came out to the edge of his fingers. What does that tell you? You're not going to be able to do work in that coat. That's why we talk about rolling up our sleeves, right, to get something done. So his brothers became so angry, and I suppose maybe naturally, so envious and jealous, their anger swamped them. They were out in the field one day and said, let's kill him, and they threw him down a well. But of course, it didn't kill him. And so they're thinking, here he is laying at the bottom of this well. Let's just throw rocks at him until he dies. One of the other brothers say, no, no, we cannot do this. And they're fighting over whether or not to kill him when some Ishmaelite traders come by. And somebody says, well, let's just sell him. So they yank him out of the well, and they sell their teenage, think about this, teenage brother. Some of you are thinking, oh, I'm praying about this. No, 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 no. They sell their teenage brother to slave traders who take him off never to be seen again. He doesn't have a cell phone. He's not texting. He's not sending an Instagram. Me in Egypt, that's not what's happening. <laughs> He's gone never to be seen again, they think. Oh, wait, just before you take him, give us the coat. So as the slave traders leave, they take the coat and they dip it in the blood of a goat they'd killed and they take it home and they break their father's heart with it. I'm so sorry, Dad. It was a tragic accident. And while Jacob weeps, I wonder if Joseph was weeping too. I wonder what in the world he was thinking. God, what about the dreams? What about my family? Turn around twice, and he's standing in Egypt, and he's on a block, and he's being sold like a piece of meat. And the fellow that buys him is the head of the prisons, and he takes him to the prisons and says, you swab the floors of these prisons, and you clean up after these prisoners. What would you be thinking if you had gone from Mr. Tuxedo to Mr. Clean Up the Floors of the Prison? Would you be wondering, God, where are you? I don't see it, Lord. Bowing down, I'm the one bowing. I'm on hands and knees scrubbing. You ever had a moment when you thought, God, this wasn't a plan I had in mind. But here's what Joseph does. Joseph keeps believing. And while he's swabbing the floors, I believe he's saying, God's going to see me through. God's going to see me through. Now, if it were me, I'd be thinking, any minute now, my dad's going to burst through the prison door saying, I found you, I bought you back. But after one week, it doesn't happen. After one month, it doesn't happen. After one year, 
Well, after one year, I believe that by that point, Potiphar has noticed what a great guy Joseph is, and he starts to elevate him. Until, the Bible tells us, he becomes basically in charge of all the prison. He is Potiphar's right-hand man. Potiphar says, I trust you with everything in my household. Now, think about the chart here. Whoa, Joseph's dad loves him. Whoa, Joseph's brothers hate him. Whoa, Joseph is sold into slavery. Whoa, Joseph ends up as a manager. By the way, you have one sentence to encapsulate all that. And, and we're really just getting started, right? Because Joseph is there and is all excited about things that are going on when a woman spots him. Anybody remember who that woman was? Potiphar's wife, right? So here is a woman in power who comes to him. Now, here's what the Scripture says. Scripture says that she noticed that Joseph was handsome and well-built. I know that many of the men in this church know the struggle of being handsome and well-built, of, uh, of what it feels like to be at the mall and, and have heads snap as you walk by. Who is that guy? Joseph, all of a sudden, has this woman saying, excuse me, hey, good looking. What you got cooking, right? She's a woman in power. She's a woman with authority. And she says, uh, why don't we spend a little time together? Now, what is he, 18, 19 years old? All by himself? Nobody's going to know, but not Joseph. He says, no, ma'am, no way. You don't understand. How could I dishonor your husband that way? He trusts me. How could I dishonor my God that way? Now, I'm afraid if I were there, there'd be voices in my head saying, look, God hadn't done much for me lately, right? Maybe this would actually get me some power here, but not Joseph. He says, no, -uh, I trust God. Even though I can't see it, I trust God. Now, she didn't give up. She just kept on. The Bible says day after day. She said, come on. Finally, she grabs him and says, come to bed with me, and grabs him by his coat. Guys, can we be honest? You're a teenager, and a beautiful woman grabs you by your coat. At what point do you say, I'm sorry, Lord, she's got my coat. I mean, I just, you know, I, I'm, I'm gone. Not Joseph. The Bible says Joseph slips out of the coat and runs out of the house, leaving Potiphar's angry wife holding that coat. It's funny how coats figure in his story, isn't it? Because she's still holding it when her husband comes through the door at the end of the day, and she throws it on the bed and says, look what your servant tried to do to me. Potiphar, in a rage, strips Joseph of his power and doesn't put him to wash the prison. He puts him in the prison. It's a miracle he doesn't kill him. You got one verse to encapsulate all that, by the way. Just didn't want you to forget there is Joseph sitting now not only as a forgotten slave, but as a prisoner. And with every expectation, I'm probably going to get killed. What does he do? Keeps trusting God. Can you say those words with me? He keeps trusting it, it It's astounding to me that at that moment in the prison, and he doesn't even have his own cell. He's put in a, right, in a common cell. He's got one guy over here and one guy over here. And he says, how'd you guys get here? And this guy says, well, I used to be the baker. I worked for the Pharaoh. No, what? I used to be his cupbearer. Really? Yeah. And then we both ended up down here. And then they say, we've had these weird dreams. And Joseph says, don't talk to me about dreams. I know dreams. Well, maybe you can help me. Tell me about my dream. The baker says, my dream. He tells him, the, the cupbearer says, well, my dream. He says, tells him, he says, okay, okay, all right, great. Um, your dream means that you're going to be restored to Pharaoh's service. The cupbearer, yes. 
your dream means you're dead in two weeks. So there you go. Those are your, your dreams. And unfortunately, he's right. The baker ends up being executed. The cupbearer ends up going back up to Pharaoh. And as he heads out of freedom, out to freedom and to see Pharaoh, Joseph says, remember me. And the cupbearer says, you bet I will. And he doesn't. <laughs> you ever got in trouble for doing the right thing? Joseph did the right thing by saying no to Potiphar's wife. Amen? And yet he ends up in prison. You ever got in trouble for doing the right thing and say, Lord, what's up? Have you ever been forgotten by someone who you helped? Have you ever had somebody take credit for your work? I don't know about you, but I don't become more godly at those moments. And yet Joseph patiently is there in jail. But we got to hurry. Of course, there's a moment when Pharaoh gets up and has a dream, right? And his cupbearer is there. The cupbearer is one of the few people who will be close to him, very trusted position. Pharaoh, you look a little rough. He says, you'll never believe what I dreamed last night. He says, what's that? He said, I dreamed that there were seven fat cows that came up out of the Nile. But then right behind them, seven skinny cows came up. And the seven skinny cows ate the fat cows, only they did not gain any weight, which is the diet I've been looking for, right? You know, all the beef you can want. He says, it's the strangest thing. Saw the same thing with ears of corn. And all of a sudden, that cupbearer says, I know a guy who knows dreams. Where is he? He's in your prison. Get him up here. And so Joseph gets cleaned up, drug up out of prison, and stood before the greatest man in all the world of his day, the Pharaoh of Egypt. Can you interpret my dreams? And Joseph says, well, not me. It's my God that does so. But yes, sir, here's the deal. Those seven fat cows represent seven great years of harvest. But those seven... Skinny cows represent seven years of famine. And if we don't do something, all of the food from the seven fat years is going to be eaten up and your country will starve during the seven lean years. What are we going to do? And of course, you know what the Pharaoh does. He turns to Joseph and says, well, you're a sharp guy. I'm putting you in charge. Joseph not only becomes the head of agriculture, ultimately, he becomes the Pharaoh's right hand. The scripture says basically he's the vice president of Egypt. Are you charting this story? Right? <laughs> It's like, it's like a roller coaster. It's six flags, up and down and up and down and up and down and up. And you got one verse, just one verse. Need to get it all in one verse. Well, I'm going to have to hurry and finish because he ends up standing there when the dream comes true. Because back down in Canaan where his brothers are, they're starving. And they come up to Egypt because they think maybe we can get food from this great man. They have no idea who the great man is they're going to stand in front of, do they? I see them in a large hall as they walk in and they bow down before. Does that sound familiar? They bow down before Joseph. And when they do, Joseph looks down and recognizes them. Oh, there's more little nuances to the story. And some say, why didn't they recognize Joseph? He recognized them. They're still wearing their same VBS costumes, right? And, and, and they're looking up at him. Why didn't they recognize him? He'd been away from them for more than a decade. He had lived in Egypt. He spoke Egyptian, I'm going to suggest. He probably, you know, like, talked like an Egyptian and walked like an Egyptian. I mean, you know, you know the routine, right? And so they didn't recognize him, but he recognizes them. And when he does, he's not angry. When he finally reveals himself, and they say, oh, no, and he says, don't be afraid. What you intended for harm, God intended for good. Where's my dad? And the end of this beautiful story is that his father comes up and is saved. Joseph saves the lives of his brothers and your soul.
You realize that, right? Because his brothers included Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and... Do you know who Judah is? Judah's the great, 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 or so, grandfather of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus is called the Lion of Judah. And Joseph, by saving his brothers, brought the lineage of Jesus on to us. It's a crazy cool story. And you have one verse. That's why you might appreciate my shock when I finally said, man, I don't remember, I don't remember. How did he, which one of those, you've got to be kidding me. And I read this verse. Go ahead and put it up, brother. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones, period. <laughs> Who was in the truck when that got picked? That's what I want to know, right? Who selected that? That's the whole thing. That's all you get of Joseph. I read it three times, and I'm thinking, what am I missing? Nothing about dreams. Nothing about his brothers. Nothing about Potiphar. What am I missing? Nothing about saving Egypt. Nothing about the grain or nothing about his forgiveness of his brothers. I don't know about you, but if I'd been standing there with the people who'd messed up my life right there, boy, all he had to say was kill him. Nothing about that. Tell me what that is about. I had to go back to the book of Genesis to find out. Because that is taken from the very last paragraph of the very last chapter of the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. Here's how it closes. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived to be 110 years old and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children, the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, placed at birth on Joseph's knee, which was simply a fancy way of saying Joseph got to see his great-great-grandchildren. And then it says this. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die. Well, he was 110, so he probably said, I am about to die. <laughs> but, but God will surely, everybody say surely. But God will, one more time, surely come to your aid and take you out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear on earth, on oath, and said, God will... Oh, come on, you can do better than that. God will come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. <sighs> the reason I say that is the next verse says, so Joseph died at the age of 110. And after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt, period, end of the book of Genesis. I got to confess, I was still confused. I mean, what's the big deal about that, right? About the second or third reading, it was like, bing, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Joseph has been there 80 years. His kids, kids, kids knew nothing but Egypt. Joseph was the one who year after year would say, now you know, God's going to take us out of here one day. How silly did that story sound to them after 70 years, 80 years? Grandpa's nearly dead. 
Oh, he's going to start the promised land speech again. Oh, I hate it when he does this. Every year on his birthday, you know what? God promised to my great-great-grandpa Abraham and Isaac and, oh, what was my dad's name? Jacob, you know. I mean, after a while, the great-grandkids are just embarrassed. Whenever their friends come over, this is my great-grandpa. Do you know we're going to the promised land? Come on, let's go play. Because what is he talking about? He just says that. He thinks that somehow we're going to this special promise. Let's be real. Don't you think they feel like some of our grandkids when we talk about heaven? Don't you think some of them went, really? You still believe in that? We sing songs. Soon and very soon we are going to see the king. Do you know that one? Soon and very soon we are going to see. Now, don't you know there's a generation that goes, how long you been singing that song? My grandma sang soon and very soon. My great-grandma sang some glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away. Right? Any moment now. Really? Can you still say that? You still believe in the eminence of the coming of the Lord? Well, we got to wrap this up. Let me make it clear. Here's why I believe this is how we get focused for our family. We've got to be Joseph. Joseph called them around and made a brilliant decision. He called them around and said, look, I'm dying. But just because I'm dying, don't you think God's promise isn't true? So here's what I want you to do. Don't bury me. What? Promise you won't bury me. Do you know what they'd have done in Egypt? They'd have embalmed him. They'd have put him in a sarcophagus, in a, in, in a mummified form. They might even have built a monument to him because he was one of Pharaoh's great advisors. Think about that. You could go to Egypt and here's the pyramid of Ra, the pyramid of Timos, and the pyramid of Joe. I mean, that's what you could have found today. But Joe says, no, no, I don't want you to bury me. Well, Grandpa, what should we do if we don't bury you? Put me in a box and let my bones, uh, let my skin rot off my bones. And then what? And then put my bones in a suitcase, in a rollerboard. Go buy a backpack and put my bones in it. Why? Because when you leave, I want you taking my bones because I'm going to be buried in the promised land. Grandpa, that's weird. <laughs> I mean, if I'm at school with a backpack and somebody's, what's in your backpack? Oh, my great-grandpa, you know? He says, exactly, because then you'll have a moment to tell them. And you know why I got him? Because he says, any minute now, who knows when, we're going to be going to. Why do you think that? Because God is faithful. That's what my great-grandpa told me. Say it with me. God is faithful. Faith. Guys, this is our challenge. Our challenge is to tell the next generation, say it one more time, God, God is faith. Our challenge is to be willing to say out loud one more time, God is faithful. And keep saying it. And maybe say it on our deathbed. By the way, if you would like to go to the grave of Joseph, you can. It isn't in Egypt. Because within a generation... There was a new Pharaoh on the land who didn't know Joseph. And a little baby was born whose name starts with an M, ends with Oses. Anybody want to guess? <laughs> and he led the people out of Egypt. So what about you? Are you a family who's found yourself right here? 
And Joseph says, hey, buddy, look where you're going. That's Joseph's great advice, right? Look where you're going. I got to finish. I saw a lady in the, in the airport in Chicago run into a pillar. The pillar is near, seriously, the pillar is nearly six foot wide. There are these huge pillars in the concourse in the Chicago airport. You know what she was doing? She was texting. Yeah. She was pulling a roller board and she was texting. And she was going like 30 miles an hour like this through the airport. And, I, and she bumps into me and I just noticed her and I thought, really? She, she didn't even say, excuse me. And then I realized, like a torpedo, she was heading right for that pillar. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but I just, I looked at her. And she's heading straight for it, head down, just texting like this. Now, now some of you may be thinking, well, as a Christian, shouldn't you have maybe said something? I honestly thought she was going to look up. I really did. I really <laughs> thought she was going to look up. <laughs> but she did it. She sails right, and the pillar had this metal wrapping around it. And when you hit the wrapping, it's like a gong. It went bong, 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 like this. Everybody in the area snapped their heads over and saw this woman doing like this and almost falling down. And I thought, oh, she's going down. She was on these high heels, but she kept it together, finally looked around, saw everyone staring, looked at the pillar, word of honor said, who put that there? And then zipped around it. Guys, I believe that's us. I believe that we get so caught up in the here and now, and whether it's whatever somebody tweeted next, or whatever the Instagram was, or, oh man, how come I didn't get invited to that party, and we just get so consumed that we say, wait a minute, this world is not my home. I'm just a traveling through, yeah. My treasures are laid up. But I can't see it. Neither could Joseph. But what he did was look the next generation in the eye and said, take my bones with you, because I promise God is faithful. Will you bow with me? Father, today, we believe you're faithful. But Lord, it's, it's not enough just to sing it, or even to say it. Father, we need to put our lives there. So Lord, I pray for those who even today, when this song is sung, may need to make a decision. Maybe it's a young person who's never been baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins. Maybe, maybe they need to make a decision to step out and say, I, I need to give my life to Jesus so that I can be ready for that great day that's coming. But Father, there may be some of us who've walked with Jesus a long ways and we're here this morning and what we need to do is we need to get on our phones as soon as this church service is over and invite them back here next week to hear the word of God. Father, maybe... Maybe what we need to do is we need to go to our houses and set some things in order. Putting more focus on where we're going than where we are right now. With our finances, with our time and energy and talents. God, some of us may have relationships that we need to end or may have habits that we need to put away. Because when we look where we're going, we know those are not pointing us in that direction. So Father, I, I just pray today no matter what may be ahead of us, we don't let it distract us from what is ultimately our home. Going home to the promised land to be with you forever. Father, for those we miss who are believers, those we've loved who are Christians, we get to be reunited with. 
with dads and moms, with spouses and dear friends, but most of all with Jesus. Lord, today will you put our minds on where we're going and like Joseph, can we say to others, look where you're going and make your decisions based on that. We pray that in Jesus' name and all that agree say, amen. Well, this sermon has been long and you've been patient. Brandon's going to lead us in a word of song. Can I ask you to sing this song like you know where you're going? Can we sing it as practice for heaven? And if you have a, a burden on your heart, if you've got something I know there are elders and leaders here who'd be happy to pray for you. If you've never given your heart and life to Jesus, and I know you're worried about, man, what time are we going to get to the restaurant? Well, the real question is, are we ready not for the restaurant? Are we ready for heaven? And if we're not ready for the coming of the Lord, don't leave this building without making that right, whatever it means. And if that's taking a step, then we invite you to do that while we stand and while we sing. After the day, tomorrow may bring the shadow.